Gray. And I am Hart. We are asexual Christians. Christian asexuals? How is that different than just being celibate? How do we exist between a mainstream and a face culture that both prioritize sexual relationships? Just in very different ways. Hello, listeners. Uh, So today we have something a little different. Both Gray and I listen to Theology in the Raw, a podcast by Preston Sprinkle. I actually introduced it to Gray, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we've enjoyed it a lot. But um, he did a question and answer episode the other day and addressed asexuality in a way that uh, really disappointed us. Pretty unhelpful. Yeah. So we wrote a letter and we're unable to find a way to send it to him without joining the Patreon. And we're so. never spend $5 to tell someone they hurt you. Yeah. So we're going to record the letter here. And Preston, if you're listening, we really want you to listen to what we have to say. And we really want you to know that we love your podcast and your heart for queer people. Yeah. There was, in fact, there was an episode a while back where um, you casually mentioned asexuals in passing as kind of part of the queer identity, and I was I was incredibly touched. I was like, oh, I feel I feel so seen in this moment, which is probably what compounded the oh oh dear uh, response from both of us when we were listening to um, your latest Q and I. So yes, we're a little hurt by Preston Sprinkle and Theology in the Raw, and this is our open letter. Gray, you want to start? Without further ado, an open letter to Preston Sprinkle. Dear Preston, Gray and Hart here. We've been avid listeners of your show, Theology in the Raw, for a little over a year now. Both of us deeply appreciate your willingness to discuss and wrestle with difficult topics, especially pertaining to sexuality and gender. The two of us are asexual Christians, and we've had many fruitful conversations on faith and sexuality, with each of us looking forward to the day you would interview or discuss sources on this lesser-recognized sexual orientation on your show. As you're probably anticipating, especially after our intro, this is a response to your recent Q&A, where a listener, Robin, suggested or requested resources on ace identities. You said you didn't have any resources, but you then recommended Robin Google around in order to better understand ace spectrum identities. Now, while neither of us know Robin, it's safe to assume that they had already done some research on the topic, and we're hoping you would be able to share some unique perspectives. The bulk of your response focused on sexual fluidity, particularly the sexual fluidity of young women. While this may not have been your intention, you gave the impression that asexuality is a fad for young women who haven't found the right partner yet. This is unhelpful for a variety of reasons, as it dismisses the experience of asexual men and gender nonconforming asexuals. It also raises the question of at what age a woman may identify as asexual and be believed. Hart is in her 30s, and I'm in my late 20s. Both of us, upon learning about asexuality, realized it described our experiences to a T, not just at the present moment, but since we've been eight or nine years old and first encountered the very G-rated expectation that someday we'd have romantic relationships. You go on to say asexuality means different things for different people, and it seems you view demisexuality as the ideal state for a Christian. Now, this isn't an uncommon perception, and it's one I'm unqualified to answer for my own pretty aromantic experience. So with that in mind, here is Hart with her response to your Q&A. 
It made me laugh bitterly when you described demisexuality as being quite possibly the biblical ideal and awesome. My experience has not been awesome. For a long time, I thought something was quite wrong with me. I wished I was gay or completely aromantic because my ability to experience romantic attraction clashed very much with my repulsion of sex. Often I would pray and ask God why he allowed me to be tortured in this way. One of the very, very few times I have ever experienced sexual attraction was towards a man I cared very deeply for and who is not a believer. That has been the source of much pain, and it is not brightened by any hope of finding someone else. Sure, maybe, but I have very different expectations for my future than your typical aloe person. So why is the term asexuality helpful? Partly because the terms society uses for lack of sexual attraction include damage, stunted, broken, immature, emotionally repressed, or most common of all, you just haven't found the right person yet. We have different expectations for the future than our non-asexual peers. This is not to say asexuals can't be married. Asexuality is not the same as celibacy. It's not about who you do or do not sleep with. And an asexual may be in a sexual relationship without experiencing sexual attraction in the same way a gay person may have a straight-seeming marital or sexual relationship. This is because sexual attraction is not the same as libido, and it's not the same as romantic attraction. One asexual may have a high libido, but not fantasize or wish to engage in sexual activity with another person. Another may have a low libido, but choose to participate in sexual activity with their partner. They're both asexuals. There's a popular view of asexuality as an internet orientation. However, the existence of asexual people predates the current conversation around it. Unfortunately, throughout much of history, lack of sexual attraction has been viewed as a medical disorder. This is all the more reason people should be aware of asexuality as an orientation, rather than as a phase to grow out of or the result solely of trauma-induced sexual repulsions. In conversations with other asexuals, the body of the response upon learning about this identity has been a sense of freedom. We're tired of wondering if there's something wrong with us. And in Christian circles, we are very tired of being upheld as a standard of purity. Both Hart and I have eagerly awaited the day when Theology in the Raw would air an episode discussing asexuality. Robin's request suggests we aren't the only ones. Your response indicates you're not as interested in exploring this subject, to our sadness. It's understandable you aren't able to recommend many resources. Even in the LGBTQIA community, ACEs are not always recognized or accepted. If you ever consider offering Christian resources on the topic or you're interested in learning more, we would recommend beginning with reaching out to Jenna DeWitt. Um, she actually has an excellent podcast episode on the podcast, Where Do We Go From Here, called I Wasn't Gay, But I Also Wasn't Straight. That would be a really good starting place for you. And obviously, we have our own podcast, but I mean, you would have already come across it if you're here. <laughs> uh, we designed this as a source of encouragement for asexual Christians struggling to find welcome in the church while acknowledging a queer identity. And a common theme has been how we're reductively perceived as pure in church settings because we aren't interested in sex, despite our assertions that a lack of sexual attraction is not a standard that should be applied to Christians, and asexuality does not make us better or more moral people or make our lives easier. Thank you for all that you do. This was written from a place of deep respect for your love for the queer community and willingness to hear views that differ from your own. 
We're going to continue to tune into your show as we appreciate the guests and subjects you bring on. And we hope you'll consider listening to and sharing the experiences of members of the asexual community on your platform. I've been Gray. And I'm Hart. And we approved this message. (laughs) (laughs) That was very PBS of us at the end there, wasn't it, Hart? Yes. Before we sign off, there were a couple things I wanted to mention that Preston Sprinkle did not mention in his little answer about asexuality that I feel are really important. Uh, So we've done this before on this show, but Gray, could you give us the attraction (laughs) split model? The split attraction model. That one. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, that old chestnut. Yeah, the split attraction model. Um, Essentially, and I mentioned it in passing in the letter, romantic attraction is different from sexual attraction. You can be heteroromantic, you can be biromantic, aromantic. You can, as a person, generally be experiencing a romantic attraction. And that is a separate concept from the sexual attraction you do or do not experience. Also mentioned in there, the whole gender nonconforming thing, it really felt like his response was geared towards um, heteroromantic women. Yeah. Who said that they were asexuals? Um, I'm not hetero romantic, I don't think. I, and you're, you're pretty demi on the romance side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's uh, unhelpful as far as um, just, I, I think that it's important when discussing asexuality to understand that those are two different things. I also think that a really important concept is libido or sex drive versus asexuality, because it it seemed like the bulk of his response was um, the assumption that if you're asexual, you're celibate, which is not correct. We are both celibate. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of that is moral framework that we happen to have, um, but um, which, which, you know, that part, that part's complicated. Like we've been talking about in the intro for every episode, the whole, well, what's the difference between this and celibacy? I actually realized I was ace in conversations with friends who were turning to me as an accountability partner because of the sexual attraction that they were experiencing. And I was like, oh, that's a, oh, that's, that's a thing that people actually feel. That's, that's not made up. Um, (laughs) I know, which is very ace. So we appreciated that Preston did acknowledge that the umbrella for asexuality is kind of big, but I wish he could have gone into a little bit more of that. He just covered asexuality, which is the umbrella, yeah, <laughs> demisexuality, and he gray sexuality. Yeah, he okay. Well, he but he mentioned gray sexuality in a way that was basically like, oh, it's probably not a thing. Um, <laughs> and what has been so interesting to me is uh, meeting you and finding out more about aromantic asexuality, which is more where you lean. And as we've discussed in previous podcasts, there we each have different struggles with me having the feelings <laughs> and <laughs> and do not. <laughs> and both of those are their own challenges, which is what we usually appreciate in Theology in the Raw is digging into some of these intricacies and some of these little known 
yeah, the, thing, the thing I usually appreciate about theology and the raw is that they're willing to explore nuance. Mm -hmm. And this was a very unnuanced take. Um, even in the kind of casual mention of not, not recommending conversion therapy, but at the same time, telling someone who's asexual, oh, you just haven't met the right person yet is a little bit conversion therapy-ish. It's it's a little, oh, actually, you just need to you just need to try more of the sex thing, or you have not had the good sex thing yet. And eventually like you haven't met the right person. Or you yeah. and, haven't and met the right we person. We have both experienced that Hoofta. many times to the point it's kind of annoying. It's, it's, a, it's kind of funny if it weren't it, so annoying. It's definitely also, annoying. it feels pretty unkind to like my exes, because I have been in a few relationships, not so much out of, wow, I really want to be in a relationship with this person as out of, yes, this is the social good that I should pursue. And then I get into the relationship. <laughs> I know, I know how it sounds, but you know, that's, that's how I am. And then I get into the relationship and I go, oh, actually, I'm not interested in this long term. And I don't want to be unkind or hurtful to this person. So we should end this. But saying, oh, you just haven't met the right person seems pretty unkind to those people. Because I'm not looking for someone who's good enough or magical enough to change me. Mm. Um, and these, mm -hmm. these, these guys I've dated were good, kind, caring people. 10 out of 10 would recommend to friends who were interested. Um, but... <laughs> So yeah, the the whole like, oh, you just haven't met the right person. I'm like, I've had pretty good interactions with mm -hmm. people. Um, I just don't really, just no Romo. One last thing I wanted to talk about was Preston Sprinkle kind of wrapped the whole topic of asexuality in gender identity markers. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is... Something I think that no matter who you are, you should be thinking about because we as Christians, our identity is in Christ. So that's a very important thing. But what I, I wanted to kind of pick your brain, Gray, about this because when I was listening to the podcast and he was talking about how gender identity markers may not be helpful sometimes. Part of me was like, yeah, okay, I get that because you don't want to set things in stone. And we do acknowledge that sexuality is a fluid thing. It can be. And can be. But also having the term asexual was really helpful for me because I've had this thing for a very long time and it was very disturbing, especially as a teenager. And then having the word and, and demisexuality particularly and the split attraction model helped me go, oh, I'm not crazy. I may not be a broken, malformed person as I used to think I was. I think it's also um, worth acknowledging that he talked about victims of sexual assault uh, who may have had, and people who may have had negative sexual experiences. Um, I want to say that for anyone who is listening or who does identify as asexual as a result of such experiences, like you are still very welcome in the community. Um, neither Hart nor I, just for the purposes of clarity um 
have experienced sexual violence. Um, yeah, heart's nodding. I looked over. I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to assume. I think we've discussed it before. <laughs> um, yeah. So this, this isn't. Is, this <laughs> just saying that feels this isn't like when people say, "Oh, you're gay," yeah, because you had a bad relationship with your father and oh. were abused by your uncle or something. Yeah, that's kind of how it feels. And the hard part is that we expect better from Preston, frankly, in that yeah, like, he's not a person who would say that to someone who is gay, who is talking to him about it. He, he wouldn't be all conversion therapy on them. So it was just especially disappointing to hear those kind of thoughts. Um, the other thing, and I didn't go into this in the letter so much, but there is the idea of asexuality as a kind of fad. And I just want to say that, I mean, throughout human history, there have obviously, I've, I've heard one person say like, oh, but you know, we just discussed them as uh, spinsters or confirmed bachelors. No, that does also go for other parts of the queer community. Um, that's not just aces. But we have like documentation of asexuality mentioned in the early 1900s. We have documentation of ideas of like sexual anesthetics, I think it's termed, or um, monosexuals in like uh, some pretty unfortunate psychological stuff from the 1800s. I think Preston Sprinkle himself even mentions the Kiersey model, which has like, um, which is a model of sexual attraction, uh, hetero or homosexual. And on there, there's a marker that's basically X for it does not experience sexual attraction. Um, and obviously in recent years, we've tried to nuance and develop our understanding of that. On the identity marker, I don't see why it would be unhelpful in an early draft of the letter. I was basically like, what's so wrong about someone saying I don't experience sexual attraction and then later on being like, oh, actually I do. Like, I don't think that that negates asexuality any more than, you know, a quote unquote ex-gay person neg negates like gay people existing. And I, I think it's helpful. Recognizing it helps me understand my own approach to the world, hopefully in a way that takes my blinders off to other people's experiences, which was a big part for me, as I've mentioned in earlier episodes, of having more love and compassion for people who <laughs> otherwise I would be like, why are, why are you sleeping around? Because, you, you know, I was a good, quote unquote, good little Puritan kid. So it's really easy to judge other people if you're not going through what they're going through. And yeah. That's one area where I personally think the identity marker has been really helpful. Also in finding people with some shared experiences and going, oh, I'm I'm not a freak or a weirdo or a messed up subhuman being, which I know we've kind of thrown out those terms, but it's because they're things that we really have grappled with. Um, that question of, okay, so what's wrong with me? I'm not, I'm not gay, but I'm not very good at being straight. When I was younger, I always thought of myself as being gay adjacent. I didn't know what, adjacent. what it was, but it's like, well, it's it's not that. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> as a kid, as a kid, I once had a girl um, who was who was bullying me at the time because I was mostly friends with boys, and she said, "Like, what are you, a lesbian?" And I said, "No," because that would mean I like girls. And then I was like, actually, all your friends are girls, so maybe you're a lesbian. And she did not like that. Um, 
no, I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not attracted to women. So therefore I'm not that, but also I don't fit in with whatever my peers are experiencing. And then unfortunately, when my, when my friends who were male, like started getting more into the whole sex thing when we were about 12 or 13, um, more like into ideas, I felt like they didn't, we, we didn't really know how to connect after that. So yeah, this, this, you know, has impacted relationships in a way that makes me go, I, I guess there's something wrong with me. Like as a, as a think 14, 15 year old, um, I saw an old friend of mine from elementary school at a party and he was there with his new girlfriend and he wouldn't say two words to me because he was very focused on his girlfriend. And I walked away from that, not thinking, oh, I liked him or, oh, if only he would date me or if only I had a boyfriend. I walked away from that thinking, wow, so apparently this is what uh, an interest in romance does to you, is it makes you mean to your friends. So yeah, having a term that makes me know I'm actually not broken. So I guess in some, we felt like the the tone was unhelpful. Unhelpful and dismissive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if you're still listening, whoever you are who's still listening, thank you. My mom. <laughs> Hi, mom. Hi, mom. Hi, probably my brothers, because you're great. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. And uh, what's your ace moment for today? <laughs> if President Sprinkle is still listening, he's gonna. Be, this will be the point at which he's like, oh, yeah, I can disregard whatever these people say. Because... <laughs> Because mine is that I'm playing The Witcher 3, um, which is a game with quite a few sex scenes, and I have successfully dodged them all. <laughs> I have been playing an asexual version, asexual demi-romantic version of Geralt of Rivia, <laughs> where he really likes Yennefer, and I don't think they do anything other than kiss once or twice. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it has been surprisingly easy. Also, it's pretty funny because it does make him read as very gray ace sometimes because people will be like, there'll be a little romance scene and Yen will be like, so what about now? And he'll be like, actually, I think I'm going to go hang out with my daughter now. Or actually, I have, I'm, I've got other plans. I'm going to go drinking with some buddies or, hey, do you want to go? Like, I don't know. The game doesn't have this, so it would be epic. Do you want to go fishing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> And it's a series that, really focuses on a lot of different relationships, especially this father-daughter one, which is sweet, um, a lot of his friendships, and a lot of his interactions with women. Like, there's one that actually came across as really, really sweet and kind of ace, where a lady was talking about how her parents were disappointed in her for not being in a relationship. And his response was pretty much like, hey, you're not alone. You've got friends, me for one. And it was like actually really sweet and I loved it very much. And I think that's just how I'm going to be playing it. <laughs> no hate to Witcher fans who play it differently. That's just, that's just me. And CD Projekt Red put it in there. So I, I guess it was supposed to be in there somewhere. And we're thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And for people who are listening to Preston, who have heard about our Jenna DeWitt recommendation in there, I would also probably throw in uh, a stat advice on Instagram who had a whole thing on what do you say to people who, um, you know, tell you you just haven't met the right one yet. Not a Christian perspective, but really good information on uh, the whole asexuality spectrum stuff. And he's just a delight. 
This has been a unique podcast for many reasons. We've been reading a letter, talking about stuff, and we're actually in the same place together. So uh, this is your pair of aces signing off. <laughs> we need two more. Get a get a little deck. A one, two, three, four. We're aces in places, invading your ear spaces. We're glad you stayed with us today. Please know your love.